Second Peter chapter 1 will be our beginning place this evening. A repeated theme in sermons and classes, Bible reading, is spiritual growth. And what that means is that after baptism we do not remain stagnant or underdeveloped or undernourished. Rather, we are engaged in advancing, improving, being fruitful and abounding in every good work. I want us to notice tonight as we begin what Peter writes about this and where he starts in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Obviously, this is a passage inspired by God, written by an apostle, that concerns spiritual growth. But where does he start? Where does he start? What's the foundation? Notice with me in verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Notice, when this comes to verse 5, make every effort. But what fuels that effort? What foundation are we building on? Verse 4, God's precious and very great promises. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave His lifeblood so that sinners could be redeemed and be obedient people and embrace these precious and great promises and on this foundation grow and advance in their faith after baptism and until the final call. As the song communicates, we are people who are standing on the promises of God. I remember one preacher a number of years ago said we ought to be standing on the promises, but in some cases we're just sitting on the premises. Makes a valid point there. Knowing what Christ did, desiring to grow as his disciples, we are motivated, we are fueled by these precious and exceedingly great promises. And tonight, let's list some of these precious and great promises. Let's be specific and review what God has promised in his word to followers of his son. Number one, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Go ahead and add verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want you to think about the first time reader of this passage. I, I do not mean the original readers back in New Testament times. I'm talking about somebody who picks up this book and they read this passage and their first reaction. Why should I keep myself from the love of money? Why should I be content with what I have? Well, the answer comes back. God has said, I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. As a preacher, I've heard many marriage vows spoken by couples over the last 52 years. Sometimes they write their own vows and speak them with great passion, sometimes extremely eloquent and emotional. And then I find out years later, those promises were not kept. So someone said, I will never leave you, but they did leave. And I've had innocent spouses describe the grief and, and, and the hurt of someone just walking out, walking away from God and walking away from the first promises of matrimony. 
And it happens in friendships. Best friends forever has become a popular expression of affection these days. But we hear of occasions where that affection graduates into hostility and friendships are abandoned. Grudges weigh down the heart. Words are either not spoken at all are spoken with angry tone and countenance. Even among brethren, there are betrayals. Paul knew of that reality. Do you remember near the end of his life, he wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Demas has deserted me. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. It's a sorry reality that brethren may realize the promises their brethren made were not kept. But all of these illustrations I've given so far are human. Men and women making promises and not keeping those promises. Men and women who are capable of sin, disloyalty, and apostasy, though never excused. Vows and promises that are not taken seriously. But in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, we're talking about God. With God, there is never, ever that concern that He will just abandon us. As I read the Word of God and become acquainted with God and the character of the Son of God and the cross, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that God is faithful down to every promise and every word. In hope of eternal life, Paul said to Titus, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So, promises are specific in Scripture. And I can take this truth with me and keep it close to me every single day. Even on those days when men and women may turn against us and things happen we did not expect. God is faithful. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, that makes me want to grow my faith even deeper. One more thing about this. Look at this passage through the lens of choice. The choice is simple and clear. Either love the Lord your God or love money and the world as your God. Now, where should your trust be? It should be where faithfulness is. It should be where integrity lies. So we are exhorted here and everywhere to worship the Creator, to worship the Creator and put our trust in Him. This is captured in so many narratives in the Bible. I, I ran across this in 1 Chronicles 28.20. 20, when David instructed Solomon to build the temple, he encouraged him with these words, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God... My God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And then there is this component of the promise. There's this added phrase that gives even more value to the promise. What can man do to me? Nothing. Because 
as I live with the Lord, the Lord is my helper. We need to review and focus on the specific promises of God and make sure we're not just sitting on the premises. We're standing and walking on and with the promises that God made. Number two, wait for me and I will strengthen you. Through Isaiah, God said this to his people. His people who were getting ready to suffer severe trials in exile because of their sin, Isaiah speaks to them. And he says in Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The historical context is the prophet is preparing the people for exile. The people needed to know where they went wrong, what they were guilty of, in order for the call to repent to be taken seriously, even if that call came in exile. Much of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, involve rebuke because of the sin that took them to captivity. But at this juncture in Isaiah, chapter 40, there is comfort to be taken seriously by God's people, even if they're in Babylon, if they will live with Him, depend upon His promises, and be open to the comfort and blessings He provides for his people. Comfort from God for his people who could still be pardoned though the consequences of their sin would fall upon the nation. Individually they could still be pardoned as they approach the Lord in repentance for forgiveness. What we need and what we encounter all through scripture is these strong and striking declarations of who God is and his faithfulness about his promises. God wants us to know who he is. We studied this morning from Genesis, God's grief over sin, God's power as exhibited by the flood, and God's grace after the flood, and for us, God's grace in the cross. Don't be anxious and rush back into unbelief and sin or stagnate. Grow. God says, I will strengthen you. We are a people, I think, who are not good at waiting. We are, generally speaking, an impatient people. Human beings want whatever they want from the quick order lane. We want it now. When we pray, we want the answer right after we say amen. God says, wait for me. Respect my timing and I'll strengthen you while you wait. James 5 and verse 7, be patient until the coming of the Lord. These are promises we can carry with us into every single day. Number three, if you lack wisdom, ask God. 
James 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. That's a promise. When I read this, I immediately think of this reality that I don't know anyone on earth with sufficient wisdom to find their own way wisely in life without God. I never read this and say, well, I don't know if I'll ever need this promise or need to ask God for wisdom. I know what this is about personally. You know, if the Bible gave us specific instructions for every conceivable and possible decision, every physical movement, every word, every specific response to everything, we wouldn't be able to carry the book. But we are given principles and prohibitions and examples and warnings to guide us. And we take all of that information, as Brother Ron said in the prayer, into our hearts and into our lives. But then in the journey of life, like those who were led by Moses, in that journey, sometimes there are specific situations that baffle us. And we do not know exactly when and how and where to say something or do something. Judgment calls. Situations you have never encountered. So you follow the book, but often must fall on your knees and ask for help. Here's what God says to his people about that. I'm listening. I'm listening when you need help. And I'll give generously without reproach and response. This is a promise we need to depend on every day. We need to live in such a way toward God that this avenue of help, this promise is real to us. Sometimes as an individual, I know something needs to be said or done or changed, but exactly when and how and with what words and what tone, I am compelled to ask God for wisdom. Number four, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when you look at that in 1 John 1 verse 9, there's a condition attached. If we confess our sins. That never means we confess the sin and reach right back to grab it again. It is a penitent confession that is referred to in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins penitently, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I read this and I never say to myself, who needs this? Because I do and we all do. Perhaps sometimes more frequently than in other times in life. But we all need the forgiveness God provides in Christ, offered here through our penitent confessions. This is written in such a way the believing reader finds relief just in the way this is worded. Forgiveness, cleansing from all unrighteousness. But don't leave out how we access that great blessing if we confess 
our sins. We cannot just reach into a verse and claim the promise without observing the condition the promise is attached to. And that's here in 1 John 1 verse 9. And this promise motivates me to grow my faith, to learn better where my weaknesses are, to confess my sin, give them up. This is a great and precious promise. When I sin, I can be forgiven upon my penitent confession. And this promises forgiveness. If God forgives me, I need to forgive me. I do that by trusting Him and specifically trusting this promise. And there's so many others. We've only touched the hem of the garment tonight. We've only just scratched the surface. I hope what we're doing is appreciating more fully the great and precious promises. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Next verse, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith. We need to be standing on the promises, not just sitting in the premises. I believe I'll need to rely on the precious promises of God the rest of my life. And I hope this study has helped each of us with this perspective and motivation to grow our faith based on the faithfulness of God and His precious promises. Let's be standing as we sing.